Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, May 5th, 2023. It's been 3,355 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 436 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, the rift between the Kremlin and private military company, or PMC, Wagner Group has publicly ruptured, with Yevgeny Prigozhin claiming that requests for ammunition are being ignored again. Second, while it is well documented that all Russian units in Ukraine are on allocation for ammunition, there has been an increase in Russian artillery strikes in other operational areas. Third, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes in preparation for larger offensive operations. Fourth, long-range weather models continue to indicate that ground conditions will be favorable for larger offensive operations using armor and mobility by May 10th. Fifth, we remain unconvinced that PMC Wagner has reached a combat-destroyed state despite Yevgeny Prigozhin's most recent screed and battlefield conditions in Bakhmut. We maintain that Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions to complete retrograde operations in Bakhmut and end its defense of the city. Sixth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential, with an increasing number of Russian leaders, analysts, and mill bloggers claiming that this includes the Bakhmut operational area. And finally, We maintain there is an extremely high risk of a retaliatory missile attack on Ukraine on or before May 9th. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Liman Pirshi was shelled for the seventh day in a row. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian Surveillance, Sabotage and Reconnaissance, or DRG, units were operating in the area of Sinkivka. In the Kupiansk operational area, 
The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the areas of Orlyanska, near Timkovka, Ivanivka, and Kislivka. Some assessment. Russian sources continue to report a high level of activity by Ukrainian forces along the line of conflict in Kharkiv over the last two to three weeks. In our assessment, this is part of ongoing shaping operations for future offensive operations, but does not prove that a large-scale offensive will be launched in this particular area. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Fighting remains very limited in Luhansk, with a further increase in Russian artillery strikes. Operational Command East, or OKE, spokesperson Serhi Cherevati reported that Russian units fired 605 artillery rounds, mortars, and grad rockets, and the Russian Air Force, or VKS, carried out 16 airstrikes from Dvorichna to Bilohorivka. In the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported Ukrainian DRG activity in the area of Stelmachivka. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary millblogger Rybar reported continued positional fighting in the area of Makivka with no change in the situation. There was no other significant fighting reported north of the Siversky Donetsk River. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces probed Ukrainian defenses east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, took losses and returned to their defensive positions. Rybar claimed that Russian forces established a, quote, toehold at the pumping station south of Bilohorivka, but there wasn't a second source to support the claim or geolocated visual information. Due to the low reliability of reports from Rybar in 2023, we did not adjust the map. The so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, shared pictures from the HIMARS strike on Alchevsk, reporting that a meatpacking plant had been destroyed. Another HIMARS strike was reported by the JCCC in Rubizhne, claiming a single rocket had been used, striking an area of communal garages. There was no other information at the time of recording. We had previously assessed that Russian offensive operations had culminated in the Svatova, Kremina, Lysychansk, and Siversk operational areas. Russian combat operations are now managed by regular Russian units, mostly Mobiks, supported by more experienced BARS units, the remains of the 2nd Army Corps, and poorly equipped units of Chechen Akhmat. We have seen no indications of additional Russian troops and equipment being brought into the region. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, our earlier assessment was accurate that Chechen Akhmat forces being moved to the forward line of friendly troops, or FLOT, in Spirna, was a sign that Russian troops were combat ineffective in the region. The Chechen forces were pushed out of the gas compressor station they occupied 10 days ago, with a geolocated Russian video showing the area was shelled by Russian artillery. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack to the southwest of Spirna that failed. This was likely in the tree lines and drainage where fighting over poorly engineered defensive positions has occurred since March. In the Bakhmut operational area, there is significant news that could have a considerable impact on the trajectory of the Russia-Ukraine war. Early on May 4th, PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin released a two-minute and very graphic video attacking Russian Ministry of Defense Sergei Shoigu and the commander of operations in Ukraine, General Valery Garasimov. Standing in front of dozens of dead Wagnerites, soaked in blood and with their boots removed, 
He made his most damning statement yet directed against the Kremlin. A quick content warning. Prigozhin's statement is laced with profanity and homophobic slurs. Some may find the content offensive, but we believe providing his complete statement is important. Prigozhin said, quote, These are guys from PMC Wagner who died today. The blood is still fresh. Film all of them. Now listen to me, f***ing These are someone's fathers and someone's sons. And these asses who are not giving us ammunition, these asses will be eating their own guts in hell. We have a 70% ammo deficit. Shoigu, Gerasimov, where is the f***ing ammo? Look at them, You scumbags are sitting in expensive clubs. Your children enjoy life filming YouTube videos. You think you are the masters of this life and that you have the right to control their lives. You think that if you have stockpiles of ammo, you have a right to this. The calculations are simple. If there is an ammunition request, we get five times less. They came here as volunteers and are dying for you to get a free ride in your offices with Redwood. Consider this. End quote. After his statement, the camera panned back over a field of bodies. The video is not suitable for work, not for children, and some may find it disturbing and offensive. We do link to the original translated video in our full situation report on Patreon. A few hours later, Russian mill blogger Dmitry Sieshin wrote that the situation within PMC Wagner is poor and morale is low, including among those who have already completed their contracts, saying, quote, I could not watch Prigozhin's video of the dead Wagnerites. Yesterday, I met a militiaman I knew from the first wave. He said they had stopped gathering for the holidays. Any get-togethers turns into mourning for fallen comrades and then slowly morphs into a scandal about what are we doing have done wrong. This is unbearable. My personal martyrology would not fit into a form for posting to Telegram, so I just try not to think about it. End quote. Sidebar. Okay, confession. I had to look up the word martyrology. It's a religious term from the Roman Catholic Church, and it is the cataloging of the martyrs and saints by the dates of their feats. While our team was preparing the May 4th situation report, Prigozhin made a second statement with senior personnel of the PMC. Wagner's leader announced that his forces would withdraw from Bakhmut on May 10th. Let's break it down, shall we? Prigozhin said, quote, I appeal personally and on behalf of the Wagner PMC Commander's Council, on behalf of Wagner fighters, I appeal to the head of the General Staff, the Minister of Defense, the Commander-in-Chief, and the people of Russia. On 15th March, he means 2022, when the special military operation did not go according to the plan, we were asked to help. On 19th March, the units arrived from Africa, fully equipped, and entered the fight from the get-go. Pause quote for some assessment here. Prigozhin's claim that PMC Wagner entered the theater of war in Ukraine on March 19, 2022, is entirely accurate. Prigozhin went on, quote, We went straight to the most difficult area the center of the Popozna strongpoint, and by May 9th we captured the settlement. End quote. Pause again. This is also accurate. During that period, up to 60,000 artillery shells, mortars, and grad rockets were being fired along the line of conflict, just in the Severodonetsk and Hirskazolota operational areas. He went on, quote, Then, in order to save the army, which ran with shame from Izum and Liman, we took a front line of over 130 kilometers long and held off the enemy onslaught. Pause for assessment. This is partially accurate. 
PMC Wagner forces were one of the main forces in Izium and withdrew without a fight with the rest of the Russian military. Wagner indeed, however, took over 130 kilometers of the line of conflict in Luhansk and Donetsk. We had assessed that Wagner would be incapable of maintaining a long-term defense due to the size of their force, which was accurate. Prigozhin continued, quote, On 8th October 2022, in order to give the army a breather, in order to pull all enemy forces on us, sacrificing our lives, we began the Bakhmut meat grinder operation. In this meat grinder, we showed success and great results. It made some actors, near-military bureaucrats from the Ministry of Defense, it made them jelly. Okay, pause again. Wagner had a large presence in the Svetlodarsk bulge and the Solidar operational area before October 9th, but Prigozhin likely is marking the date when his mercenaries withdrew from the Kremina and Lusychansk operational areas to Bilohorivka in Donetsk. Wagner did not demonstrate great results until January 2023, advancing an average of 25 to 40 meters a day from August 2nd to December 27th. Also, important to note, he really did say jelly and not jealous. Prigozhin went on, quote, This is why we were put on the so-called artificial shell hunger. The latter is freely available in stockpiles. We were receiving no more than 30% of our needs, which is why our losses were much higher than they were supposed to be, but we kept going forward. Let's pause again. In February 2023, after the Kremlin became concerned with Prigozhin's growing populist appeal and outspoken criticism of Minister of Defense Shoigu, PMC Wagner was cut off from all ammunition. During that time, Prigozhin made his first threat to withdraw from Bakhmut and made another video showing a field of Wagnerite corpses. After his statement, multiple Russian field commanders and mill bloggers publicly complained that Wagner received preferential treatment for months and more ammunition than other Russian units. Our team repeatedly provided evidence that Prigozhin and Wagner were not being singled out after ammunition shipments resumed and were receiving the same allocation as the rest of the Russian military. In our assessment, Prigozhin and Wagner had become accustomed to World War II-style tactics of massive artillery barrages followed by human wave assaults to storm shattered Ukrainian defensive positions. We further assessed that Wagner would have to change tactics and face the reality of the austerity of what has become dwindling resources. Further, beyond two weeks in February and even now, there's no evidence of an ammunition shortage among Wagner or the Russian forces supporting them. Back to Prigozhin, quote, A month ago, they stopped giving us ammo, and we received no more than 10%. We were planning to capture the settlement of Bakhmut by 9th May 2023. Assessment again. The Russian Ministry of Defense has shown an obsession with the mythology of historic dates, and this claim is likely untrue. In early January, Prigozhin predicted Bakhmut's capture by early March. In mid-March, with the advance on Bakhmut slowing, Prigozhin said that the final capture wouldn't come until April, and never until today mentioned a self-imposed or Kremlin-imposed deadline of May 9th. In our assessment, this claim of a planned victory on Victory Day is directed at the Russian population. Prigozhin continued, quote, But after seeing this, the near-military bureaucrats stopped any supplies from 1st May to prevent us from doing so, because they think they'll go down in history as victors while shaking fat bellies. Pause for assessment again. Yevgeny Prigozhin appears to have figured out the real story. 
We had previously assessed that the news the Russian MOD was taking over the defensive and offensive operations on the flanks of Bakhmut was bad news for PMC Wagner. In other areas of intense fighting, like Severodonetsk, proxy forces for Russia do the bulk of the light infantry heavy assault work. In Severodonetsk, it was the 1st and 2nd Army Corps of the so-called Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, Chechen Akhmat, Syrian volunteers, and South Ossetia. During that period, the Russian MOD and propagandists referred to the assault forces as Allied Troops, a term that hasn't been used since the summer of 2022. The 1st Army Corps relies on the forced mobilization of Russian troops into their ranks, and the 2nd Army Corps remains combat-destroyed, as does Chechen Akhmat. There are no more Syrian volunteer forces or South Ossetians. But when victory was declared over Luhansk, that honor went to the Kremlin and Colonel General Alexander Lapin. Prigozhin and Chechen Colonel General Ramzan Kadyrov would wage a public political war against Lapin, resulting in his dismissal and pro-Wagner general of the army Sergei Surovikin being assigned to command the Russian forces in Ukraine. As Prigozhin became an increasing liability, Sorovyakin was dismissed in January 2023 and was replaced by Russian chief of the general staff, Valery Gerasimov. In our assessment, the plan has always been to render PMC Wagner combat destroyed and for the Kremlin to claim victory on the remains of mercenaries. But Prigozhin went on, quote, They already went there as cowards. I officially declare to the head of the general staff, Gerasimov, and the commander-in-chief, Vladimir Putin, my lads will not be taking senseless and unjustified casualties in Bakhmut without ammo. Thus, from 10th May 2023, we're leaving the settlement of Bakhmut. We just need to take two and some more kilometers out of 45, but if, due to your petty jealousy, you don't want the gift of victory of taking Bakhmut to the Russians, that is your problem. I'm asking the head of the general staff to sign a military order. Not a single paper was signed to our name throughout the whole war, because the leadership is afraid of taking responsibility, both during the offensive and the withdrawal. Okay, pause again. This is a shocking statement, given the Kremlin's known financial payments to PMC Wagner. There have been numerous complaints of no orders or documentation from the Kremlin, but only up to a company level. Prigozhin continued, quote, Thus, we are waiting for a military order to withdraw from Bakhmut. Despite the fact we almost ran out of ammo, we will stay in Bakhmut until May 9th, just so that on this sacred for all the people of Russia's celebration, Victory Day, the brilliance of the Russian army is not shamed. Then we will withdraw to the rear camps after 400 days of hard work, and in these rear camps we'll be waiting until we will be again needed by the people of Russia. I think this will happen very soon, because you are unable to manage what you've been assigned. You will see my official address in the official press service. Thank you. That's it. End quote. Within minutes of Prigozhin's statement, Gremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said that the Kremlin had already seen Prigozhin's video, but he had nothing to say in response, stating, quote, I cannot comment on it because it concerns the course of the special military operation. End quote. Prigozhin's press service released a shorter statement than his video, saying, quote, I am officially appealing to the Chief of the General Staff, the Minister of Defense, the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, and the people of Russia. I declare on behalf of the fighters of the Wagner PMC, on behalf of the command of the Wagner PMC, that on 10th of May we will be forced to transfer positions in the settlement of Bakhmut to the units of the Ministry of Defense, 
and withdraw the remnants of the Wagner PMC to the rear camps to lick our wounds. I am withdrawing the Wagner PMC units because, with no ammunition, they are doomed to a senseless death. End quote. PMC Wagner's statement was reported in the Russian version of TASS, which reported, quote, Units of PMC Wagner on May 10th will transfer positions in Artemovsk, they mean Bakhmut, to the troops of the Russian Defense Ministry in order to save personnel from losses and lick their wounds in the rear camps. This was stated on Friday by the founder of Wagner PMC, Yevgeny Prigozhin, whose appeal was published in the Telegram channel of his press service. End quote. Okay. Big assessment. If we accept what Prigozhin says as all true, and PMC Wagner has not received any ammunition since May 1st, even if the Ministry of Defense capitulates, they have not demonstrated the logistical capabilities to move significant ammunition in under 96 hours. Further, since February, we had assessed that May would be devastating for PMC Wagner, as the bulk of their surviving penal units would reach the end of their six-month contracts and rotate back to Russia. Wagner is also facing pressure in Sudan and Mali, which is why we've been monitoring those events. Prigozhin's operations in Africa are far more profitable than Ukraine can ever be. In our assessment, this decision is not driven by ammunition shortages. I mean, there appears to be no shortage. This is a problem of high casualties with no way to replace their losses and the high monetary cost of continuing large-scale combat operations in Bakhmut. As one of our analysts said last night, quote, I guess he's asking for a ride instead of ammunition, end quote. In our final assessment, our prediction that Prigozhin's February 3rd mocking of Ukrainian President Zelensky to fight to the last man in Bakhmut would age terribly was, once again, accurate. It is yet to be seen if Bakhmut will be Ukraine's Stalingrad, clinging to 6 to 8 percent of the city's western edge. The Russian MOD does not have deep reserves and has shown an aversion through modern history, not just in Ukraine, to put the lives of ethnic Russians in the line of fire. Their job has been to accept the victory fought for by their perceived lessers. Our confidence is high that this is not political theater or an idle threat. Wagner's withdrawal from Bakhmut will devastate Russian morale both on and off the battlefield, but the Kremlin will score a political victory that further cements President Putin's power with elections coming in 2024. In northwestern Bakhmut, the GSAFU reported PMC Wagner attempted to advance in the direction of Markove and was unsuccessful. Fighting continued near Bogdanivka with no change in the situation. There was no reported fighting near Chromova, but NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed significant heat anomalies on the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line. In the rest of Bakhmut, fighting was reported as intense but positional. Rebar and Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo only made passing references to the operational situation. The Russian MOD reported they executed 57 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area, and Army Aviation and the VKS executed six close air support sorties. Video showed that Bakhmut was being intensely shelled, with fires across the areas occupied by Ukrainian forces. Wagnerites continued attempts to advance on Ivanivske and sever the T-504 highway G-lock. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, PMC Wagner continued to attack from the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal in the direction of Pretechne without success. 
In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, the only reported combat was in the no-man's land between Sieverne and Vodiana. In the Marinka operational area, there was confirmation that the 1st Army Corps had advanced to Druzhby Avenue. Based on the new intelligence, we updated the war map. Ukrainian-aligned analysts Deep State claimed that a group of Russian troops were captured during today's fighting. In the Vukhodar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka, suffered losses, and returned to their defensive positions. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah, failed Mobik and truly garbage person Igor Strelkov-Girkin, reported that Ukrainian forces went on the offensive near Vukhodar, saying, quote, Heavy fighting is going on there. Our units are pushed back to the outskirts of the village of Mikilske. End quote. Rybar also claimed that Ukrainian forces attacked using reconnaissance in force, advanced as Girkin reported, but ultimately were repulsed. We did not update the map and are awaiting additional information. Rybar and Russian mill blogger Alexander Kotz reported that Ukrainian forces also attacked Pavlivka. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, insurgents are reporting a reduction in troop and material movement. Reportedly, a radar complex that was in Manhush has been relocated to the city, and more work to bolster defensive structures in the Mariupol rayon is ongoing. Okay, question. Why does the People's Militia of the DNR put out the videos that they put out? The most recent claim is, quote, Ukrainian nationalists suffer heavy losses, end quote. You can see three or four troops in the grainy thermal imaging video, but the video has been edited or cut at the point of the explosion, and the blast is nowhere near where the troops were, and then end scene. Seriously? Come on. We obviously link to this in our full situation report on Patreon. I'd be curious to hear what you think. Occupied Donetsk officials are considering implementing a curfew on May 9th and possibly extending it to May 12th due to concerns of, quote, significant provocations planned by Ukrainian forces. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Juliapola operational area, Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces attacked Mirna using reconnaissance in force. Russian forces carried out 84 fire missions, three airstrikes, three drone attacks, and two missile strikes along the line of conflict in Zaporizhia. There continues to be no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea Fleet had reduced its deployment to seven vessels, including two frigates capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles in total. In occupied Crimea, Russian-appointed mayor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvozhayev, claimed that a Ukrainian drone was shot down near Belbek military airfield. The illegitimate governor of occupied Crimea, Yuri Gotsonyuk, announced that inspection capacity would be increased to support 250 additional cars a day on both sides of the Crimean Bridge. He added that a decision on permitting heavy trucks on the bridge has not yet been made. In western and central Ukraine, free Ukraine on the west bank of the Dnipro continued to be pounded. Russian forces executed 95 fire missions using 538 artillery rounds, mortars, rad rockets, drone-delivered IEDs, and indirect tank fire. The city of Kherson was targeted five times and hit by 21 munitions, wounding two. Some assessment. 
there is no Russian ammunition shortage, including in Bakhmut. Russian forces fired one less shell compared to May 3rd. Video shows two Fab 500 SE UMPK bombs hitting Bereslav. Russian sources claim that a fuel depot and or ammunition depot was destroyed, but didn't have a consistent story, hinting that mill bloggers were guessing at the target. Two of the bombs landed in an industrial area on the city's western edge near the solar power plant. A third bomb overshot the city and landed in an empty field without exploding. In north and northeast Ukraine, Ukrainian forces were forced to shoot down their own Beydaktar TB2 drone after operators lost communications and it started to fly in the direction of the government quarter. Ukrainian officials released a statement about the incident, quote, On May 4th, around 2000 hours in the Kyiv region, during a scheduled flight, the Bayraktar TB2 UAV lost control. Since the uncontrolled presence of UAVs in the sky of the capital could lead to undesirable consequences, it was decided to use the calculations of mobile fire groups. It's a pity, but this is technology and such cases happen. It is probably a technical malfunction and the reasons are being established. There were no casualties or injuries as a result of combat operations and the fall of UAV wreckage. End quote. In the Sumy Oblast, Russian forces carried out 14 attacks on the Ukrainian border, striking the Romadas of Yunakivka, Bilopilia, Khotin, Miropilia, Krasnopilia, Shalekhin, Nova Sloboda, and Velikopisarivka. Five artillery shells struck Yunakivka, damaging a home. Bilopilia was hit by seven mortars and eight artillery rounds, damaging two homes. In Khotin, ten mortars damaged two homes and the Palace of Culture and 16 mortars struck Novosloboda, wounding a civilian. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.